I have had a lot of years to read books. And I don't know how many books I have read, but my normal approach to reading is not for pleasure. It's really work. I'm not by nature a reader. I read in order to learn, and particularly to learn so as to better teach God's Word. It's rare that I read a book more than one time. Not because I remember everything about it, but because there's so many books to be read from my perspective. Occasionally I will, however, read a book a second time. I remember reading a book as a boy, and in my middle age I decided to find a copy of that book again and read it a second time. The first time I read it, it was a great adventure book to me. And I was captivated by the story, by the characters in the story. The second time I read this novel, I read it differently. I saw something very significant in it. Actually, I saw the redemptive work of God in a novel which was written in the 18th century. The novel that I'm speaking of is Robinson Crusoe. You perhaps know the story. Crusoe had a deep fascination, if not addiction, to the sea. He went out against his parents' wishes from Great Britain and was in a ferocious storm, almost lost his life, was able to find his way back to England. Against his parents' urging, he went again and again. And on one such voyage, he was captured by pirates. He was sold to a Moor, which is a word for a Muslim who at that time lived in Spain. He was able after two years to escape. And in the process of his escaping, he got aboard a ship en route to Brazil. On the way, lo and behold, there was yet another shipwreck. And he was able to make his way in what we would call a lifeboat to a stranded island. It was a vacant island. He soon discovered when he got there, there was an island that was frequented by cannibals because evidently he was not the only one who had been stranded on that island. He was able, as he went ashore, to get some things from the boat. He had some arms. He took a musket with him, uh, also a pistol with him. He also carried with him some grain, rice and barley. And he was able to plant those seeds on the island. And because of the subtropical climate, he was able to raise some food. He had physical food. But also, in those things which he was able to take with him ashore were three Bibles. He was not a particularly religious man. He had had upbringing in a home that was at least nominally Christian. But he really had never given much thought to the things of the Spirit of God. But when you're alone with your thoughts on an island in the middle of nowhere in the Caribbean, it has a way of making you want to understand the meaning of life. For the first time in years, Crusoe is depicted as praying to God. And interestingly enough, he does not pray for deliverance from the island as his primary prayer. Rather, he is described as praying for deliverance from his depravity, as it's described in that old English, which simply meant deliverance from his sin. He had a dream 
Among other dreams that he had, this dream stood out of all the dreams he had as he was stranded on the island. A man came to him and warned him of the necessity of his turning his life over to God. And this man had a spear in his hand and was actually in the process of trying to spear him when all of a sudden he woke up. Have you ever had a dream like that? It's good to wake up from a dream like that, isn't it? (laughs) Right. Well, the story of Robinson Crusoe, if you've read it, you know it's written from the first person perspective. It was actually his own telling of what went on in his life and especially in his being stranded on the island. And in that period of isolation, he came to know Jesus as his Lord. And God used the Word of God, the Bible, for him to come to Christ. Well, that's not unusual, is it? We have seen as we've looked at 1 Peter in the first chapter, in the 23rd verse, that the Bible says, If we are born again, we are born again by the living and abiding Word of God. God uses Scripture to awaken us. The Spirit of God inspired the Scripture, and He uses the Scripture to give us life where previously there had only been death, as was the case with Robinson Crusoe, and was the case in your life if you know Jesus. If you don't know Jesus, well, guess what? The Bible will be the instrument which the Spirit of God will use, the Word of God, to give you life, new life. In the book of 2 Timothy, we're going to look at this passage. It's a very familiar passage in just a moment. But before we look at that particular passage in the third chapter, beginning with the 14th verse, I'd like to draw your attention to another statement which Paul makes about the Word of God. This is found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's a passage that really, this part of the passage is easily overlooked, but this is what the scripture says. The word of God is not chained. And the significance of that from the perspective of Paul was that he was an ambassador in chains at the time that he wrote this letter to Timothy. He was chained. He no longer could travel the world, which was his Desire in his actual life, spreading the gospel. But he said, the word of God is not chained. The word of God is living and active, more powerful than a two-edged sword. Let me illustrate this from a story that I read. Actual story set in Spain. There was a little lady who came to know Christ. And in her fervency to spread the gospel of Jesus, she went against the grain. Now, if you've never been to Spain, Spain is a traditional nation. And at the heart of the tradition of Spain is Catholicism. Here's a lady who was born again by the living and abiding Word of God. And she could not restrain herself when it came to sharing the gospel with other people. And one day, as she was distributing scriptures to people who would receive them, as she walked down a certain main thoroughfare in her town, she came upon a brick mason who was building a wall to wall off 
the privacy of a family's home. And as she came to this man, she said to him, Here is a portion of God's word. If I give it to you, will you read it? Well, the man was not as ugly to her as some people had been that day. And he accepted it, but all the time knowing that by accepting it, it did not mean that he was going to read it. He had an idea in mind, and this is what he did. As he was getting ready to put another brick in this wall which he was building, he thought to himself, I'll fix her. He took the portion of Scripture which had been given to him, and he put it in and sealed it up and felt quite smug about doing it. Well, days passed, weeks passed, months passed, and that town in Spain became the epicenter of an earthquake. And part of the destruction associated with the earthquake was that brick wall was split in two. And as it was split in two, guess what came out of it? The portion of Scripture. And guess who came walking by examining the destruction to this brick wall which he had built. It was the brick mason himself. And his eyes were drawn to this portion of Scripture which is on the ground. He picked it up, but he had a little different perspective on it by this time. Remember, earthquakes are pretty destructive, aren't they? And he had begun to think about his own mortality more than he had at any other time before. So he took the scripture and he took it home and he opened it and he began to read it. And remember, the word of God is not chained. He was born again by the living and abiding word of God. God's word is powerful. God's word is dangerous too. If you happen to be here tonight... And you do not know Jesus Christ, you better not read the Bible. Because if you do, you will probably be changed. If you have uh, any integrity in your reading at all. With that as introduction, I invite you to turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're going to begin with verse 14. Of course, as I've already mentioned, this is a letter which was penned by the Apostle Paul under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 14 of chapter 3, as it's translated in the New American Standard Bible, You, talking to Timothy, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Scripture... We've already considered it tonight. Scripture is the tool which God's Spirit uses for our salvation. There are three things which I see in the passage. There are many things, but three main ideas which surface in this passage of Scripture about the relationship of Scripture to our salvation. First point, we must be taught Scripture 
to be saved. Many of you have been influenced by Navigator Press. Some of you have studied the 2-7 series. Some of you have done the Growing in Christ series. Some of you have done other Bible studies that are produced by the Navigators. The founder of the Navigators, Dawson Trotman, was a bright young man. But he was a wild child, to say the least. One night he was arrested soon after his graduation for public drunkenness. And as he was taken into custody by two policemen in the little town in which he lived in Southern California, as is apt to happen with people who are drunk, he began to cry. Have you ever been around someone who's drunk and they just begin to cry? Well, he had a reason to cry. He'd been arrested. And he'd never been arrested before. And in addition to that, he was from a single-parent home. His mother meant everything to him, actually. And he knew if she learned of his being imprisoned for public intoxication, it would crush her. In a town like that, some of you, maybe a few of you, were raised in a little town. And probably that town, I don't remember reading how many policemen were part of the police force, but it probably wasn't very large, just a handful, and everybody knew everybody in the town. So these men knew Dawson, and as he pled with them not to put him in jail, this is what one of the officers said to him. If you will promise me that tomorrow, this was on a Saturday night, if tomorrow you will go to church, I will let you sober up a while and then you can go home. And he said, oh, thank you. And after he had gotten his legs back under him, he made his way home. He quietly entered into his bedroom. His mother never knew that he had been drinking, intoxicated. He was hung over the next morning. He couldn't get out of bed to go to church in the morning. But he did know there was a youth meeting at the Presbyterian Church in his little town. So what he did was he got cleaned up, went to the meeting. Little did he know that the two women who were single women, older single women, who led the youth group, had been praying for his salvation for years. Now, I failed to mention this about these two women. They were school teachers. Both of them had had Dawson in their classes. He was the valedictorian of his class, number one. I don't know whether there were 15 or 20 or it wasn't a big class, but still he was number one. He was bright. And they immediately huddled up, and this is what they did. These are examples of godly people right here, these two ladies. They said, what can we do? We've been praying for Dawson's salvation, and they struck upon this idea. They would divide the group into two teams. They would put Dawson in the group with the prettiest girls because they knew he had an eye for the girls. And they would have competition. They also knew he was highly competitive, and he hated to lose. They had seen that demonstrated on more than one occasion. So what they did, they gave verses of Scripture to be memorized by the two competing teams. And all the verses which they gave had to do with how a person is saved. Well, the assignment was given. Next week, the teams came back together, and Dawson was the captain of his team. He loved being a leader. He was a leader, a natural leader. 
And so his team won. He had every verse memorized perfectly. That went on for several weeks. And one of the verses which was assigned is John 1.12. But as many as received him, speaking of Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. And as he was walking to his job... It was during the Depression era. He was walking to his job, and as he walked, he was reviewing his verses, and he reviewed John 1.12. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God convicted him with his own voice. I'm talking about Dawson's voice. He was giving the verses aloud as he learned them. And he got off the road where he was walking to the sawmill where he worked, and he got down on his knees in the ditch beside the road, and he trusted Jesus to come into his life. Now, normally, some human being directly teaches us the Word of God. But what we know, in either case, the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Did you know that? If you and I understand anything from God's Word, it may be mediated through a human voice, but it's the Holy Spirit who is our teacher. Jesus said as much in John chapter 14, 26. He says, I will ask the Father, He will give you another helper, that He might be with you forever, the Spirit of truth, who will teach you all things. Holy Spirit is our teacher. He teaches us all things. And it was true in the life of Dawson Trotman through the Word. But God also teaches us through people. God taught Timothy, did He not? Look at verse 14 again. You, however, continue in the things you have learned. Let's stop right there. A person is never too young to be taught the Scripture. He goes on to say in verse 15, and that from childhood, and let me pause here just a moment. The word childhood, that's not the best translation. I rarely have disagreement with the New American Standard Translators, but I have one here. It's actually the word infancy. I noticed there was a little baby in here just a few moments ago, Jonathan Asher. Akers was in here a few moments ago, and his mother walked out with him. He's an infant. He's about a month old now. Maybe not quite a month old. Well, do you know what? From the infancy of this person we know as Timothy, his grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, taught him the Scripture. They taught him. It's never too young to be taught the Word of God. The Bible is comprehensible even to small children. In my own case, I came to know Jesus Christ as a young boy. My mother, I don't remember her teaching me, but I know for sure she must have begun to teach me and see that I was taught from the time I was even in infancy. She saw to that. My father reinforced that. I began to ask her questions, came to know Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Now, may I give you a suggestion as it relates to your child from infancy? If your children are still in your home, particularly if they're little kids, let me give you a good book to start them off with that is scriptural. It's written by Kenneth Taylor, and you may recognize his name as being the one who produced what we know as the Living Bible. 
This book is the Bible in pictures for little eyes. Begin to teach your child when she or he is young. Now, not only is a person never too young to be taught Scripture, but a person never gets too mature to learn the Scripture, to review what she or he has learned. Where do we get this from this text? We'll look at 14 again. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Note this. Continue is a tense of New Testament verb, which means keep on continuing to learn. There will never be a moment in my life, I'm close to being the oldest person in the room here, every day I seek to come before the Lord to share moments of intimacy with Him, to worship Him, to draw closer to Him, to hear from Him. Why? Because I know I must have the Word of God. As important as the grains of rice and barley were to the sustenance of Robinson Crusoe, the Word of God was more important I understand fully what Jesus says when he says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You never get too old to learn the Scripture. Turn over to the fourth chapter of Second Timothy for a moment. And let's see what he says to Timothy. Paul says in verse 9, Make every effort to come to me soon. And then glance down at verse 13. When you come, bring the cloak, which I left at Troas with Carpus, and the books, especially the parchments. Now remember what we saw earlier in this message. What was Paul's condition? He was in prison. This was his second imprisonment in Rome. What was going to happen to him? He was going to be executed. He knew his days were numbered. They're numbered for us too. But he really knew things were narrowing down. But what was he interested in? We see his humanity. He was cold. When we get older, we need a little more covering, do we not? He wanted his cloak. Probably it was in winter or nearing winter there in Rome. And also he wanted his books, but especially the parchments. You know what the parchments are referring to? The Old Testament Scriptures, as we would call them. He was still reading the Bible. It was God's Word which came to him that brought him salvation. And he knew he must have the Word of God to continue to grow. More mature believers are tempted to coast, to put it in neutral, to let it slide There is no neutral in the Christian life. There is only drive and reverse. If I'm not going forward, it will not be long until I'm going backwards spiritually. And if you for one moment think you can just continue based on all the accumulated information you have about God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, Holy Spirit, the Church, your salvation, think again. We need to have this constant reminding 
of the truth of God's Word. We also need a relationship of trust and love with those from whom we learn the Scripture. Remember who taught him? Grandma and mother. And we understand this. He knew those from whom he had learned it. That's what Paul says. You know those from whom you have learned it. They're trustworthy people. He knew their integrity. Well, let's look at the second thing. What's the first thing? We must be taught the Scripture to be saved. Teach your children the Scriptures. Teach your grandchildren the Scriptures. Teach people that the Lord brings into your life the Scripture, knowing that the Scripture is necessary to be received in order to be born again. Dan read from James chapter 1. It's a beautiful statement, isn't it, of the importance of the Word of God. In humility, receive the Word implanted in you, because if you do, what's going to happen? You're going to be a new person, right? You're going to be born again. God plants His Word in us through people ordinarily, sometimes rarely, but sometimes people are saved without human involvement. But most often, it's someone who cares enough about you to share Christ with you from the Word of God. Here's the second thing. In order for us to be saved, we must trust Scripture to be saved. We are told in this passage, in verse 14, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. This word convinced is a word that means Completely convinced, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you're convinced of what the Scripture says. And the Scripture is described in verse 15, look again, and then that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Let me stop here just a moment. There is a difference between knowledge and wisdom. God gives knowledge. We need to know God. Wisdom is the proper application of whatever knowledge we have. Many people have been converted in their minds, but they have not been converted in their wills. God does not give us the Bible as a novelty to learn Information from. It's important that we understand the factual aspect of Scripture. It's a very trustworthy book. Historically, in other ways, very trustworthy. Ultimately, perfectly trustworthy. But the Lord wants us to apply what we've learned. Otherwise, James again, what does the Scripture say? If I look at the Word and don't apply it, then what happens? Well, I'm like a man with a dirty face who looks in the mirror. That's what the Word of God is. It's a mirror for us to see who we really are. I'm like a man who looks in the mirror, turns around and walks away, and immediately I forget what I saw. So we need to understand that the Scripture makes us wise for salvation. Timothy could trust the Scripture because of its origin. Look at verse 16. All Scripture is inspired by God. The word inspired is an unfortunate translation. I'm taking some exception again with the New American translators. The NIV does a better job when it says all Scripture is God-breathed. Really, the word is expired. It's like God exhaled 
the scripture. It's not a book that's inspired like a great piece of poetry which Shakespeare wrote is inspired. This comes straight from the heart of God. And notice, all scripture is inspired. Remember, when Paul wrote this, there was no New Testament. So when he says all scripture is inspired of God, or God breathed, he's talking about what we call the Old Testament. Imagine that. All scripture is inspired. So for Timothy, Timothy was familiar with the Old Testament, as we call it, because that's what his grandmother and mother knew and were familiar with, and they themselves had come to know Christ and been saved as a result of the Old Testament. Possibly some of Paul's teachings would have been in his mind. We don't know that for sure. In the interest of time, let me just invite you to turn to Second Peter chapter 3. I was reading this this morning in my map journal reading. Let's read beginning with verse 14 of chapter 3 of Second Peter. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord to be salvation. Just as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given him, wrote to you, as also in all his letters, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. In other words, Peter was saying... Paul's letters are hard to understand sometimes. Have you ever had that experience reading Paul? He's such a logician. I didn't say magician. Logician. He had great powers of logic and his arguments are wound rather tightly. Sometimes it's hard to really get everything. But look what he goes on to say. Which the untaught and unstable distort, as they do also the rest of the scriptures to their own description. Destruction. By describing the scripture, he says the rest of the scriptures. What's he saying? Paul's letters are scripture. That's what he's saying. So Peter recognized that. The Spirit of God gave him that insight. So possibly... The writings of Paul were thought by Paul himself as Scripture, but we don't know that fully. Here's the third thing. What must we know about Scripture? We must be taught by Scripture to be saved. We must trust Scripture to be saved. Here's the last thing. We must apply Scripture to be saved. It's not enough to learn Scripture or be convinced of its trustworthiness. You must apply it to be saved. Look at... Verse 16 again. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. I like the NIV translation, useful for four things. What are they? Teaching. Teaching. We need to be taught. We've already said that tonight. Taught, and God uses the Scripture to teach us for reproof. And what reproof has to do with... It's not so much rebuke. Some of the translations actually translate the word rebuke. That conveys more emotion than the language of the New Testament in this particular word conveys. The word means more clearly as a conviction. We are ta- it's good for teaching and convincing us or convicting us 
of things we need to be convinced of are convicted of. There's no mean-spiritedness in this word at all. The Holy Spirit brings to light where we have departed from the right path of teaching. And we need to understand this. Here's the next word. For correction. And this word correction means to set up straight on one's feet. Someone's falling down. One's walking along on a prescribed pathway. The teaching. Leaves it and falls into a ditch. Needing reproof. Reproving. Now the person must stand up and get back on the prescribed pathway. Get back on the teaching pathway. And that comes through correction. Have you ever been corrected by God when you read the Bible? Thank you, Frank. I was going to say the same thing. I'm glad I'm not the only one who is corrected. Almost daily. More, no more, almost about it. Not just when I'm reading it, but when I'm meditating on it during the day, or I sin, or I'm doing something that's ungodly, what happens? The Spirit of God brings Scripture to my mind. He, because I've hidden His Word in my heart. And He wants me to... Go forward with this. And here's the last word which is used, training. And that word means instruction with discipline. This requires accountability. We all need accountability. Now as we finish this evening, this is a part I've really, I've enjoyed teaching this passage, all of it. But I'm really enjoying this last part. There's a reason that God has given us Scripture It's from Him for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the person of God may be fully equipped for every good work. How important are good works? Go right ahead. Thank you for preaching this sermon for me. I appreciate it. Come on, finish it up. Finish it up. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's workmanship. Now think about this a minute. We who know Jesus Christ are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He prepared in advance for us to do. The word translated workmanship, this is the way it sounds in the original language. Poema. Do you hear an English word that's derived from the Greek word poema? Thank you. Thank you, Stevie. It's poem. We are God's artistic creations, and He's the master artist. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Far too many people who really think they're believers, and they may even be believers, true believers, they think, I've got to do good works in order to get in proper relationship with God. Now, what comes right before that verse... We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. Very familiar verses. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So are we saved by works? No, not of works. It's by grace through faith. Gifts from the Lord. Grace and faith are gifts God's given us so we can know the Lord. But the purpose of our salvation 
is so that we can do good works, which He prepared in advance for us to do. If we had time, we could turn to Psalm 139. We would look at verse 16. What we would discover is, before there was one day in my life, and your life, before there was one day in our lives, all those days were ordained for us, and they're written in a book. That's a figurative way of saying God has a plan for you every day. So today, tonight, God had a plan for me. And He has a plan for you if you are His child. And do you know what that plan is? To do good works which He prepared in advance for you to do. How important would it be for you to be on the same page as God when it comes to these good works? It would be incredibly important. Here's why. Because Jesus says, let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And then God says, not then, way before Jesus said it, God the Father speaks through the prophet Isaiah and He says that we were created for His glory. That's why we're here. It's for His glory. There's a tendency for us to think we're here for our enjoyment. And the Lord saves us for our own enjoyment. Now look, there is incredible joy in being saved. There's nothing like it. To be born again, incredible. But we fool ourselves and we cheat God out of His glory if we don't understand that it was for His own sake, according to Isaiah 43:25, that He saved us. It was for His own sake, primarily, not for my sake. And how in the world could His saving me, or you for that matter, how could His saving us be something that would be beneficial to Him? Well, put two and two together. When we are saved and we understand the purpose for which we have been saved, to do good works which He prepared in advance for us to do, so that we let our light shine before men in such a way that they see our good works and do what? Glorify our Father who is in heaven. We fulfill our intended purpose. Do you feel uneasy in your life? Do you feel unsettled in your life? Do you find yourself antsy, anxious? There's a good way to get rid of that anxiety and your antsiness. And it's to be found in finding what the Lord wants you to do and do it. The Bible is largely written to us who are disciples of Christ in terms of how we are to obey the Lord. A couple of more statements from God's Word and we'll be finished. I was thinking, I don't know, it came to my mind as I was sitting here. I was thinking about Galatians, probably Dan or somebody mentioned Galatians in his prayer. But Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not lose heart in doing... Say what? I was getting it, but go ahead, help me. You've forgotten too. But it's, let us not lose heart in doing good. Let us not lose heart in doing it. Do you ever lose heart in doing good? Why, sure you do. The devil doesn't want us to do good. And he does everything he can within his power to keep us from doing those things which God has prepared in advance for us to do. But 
we are not to lose heart because if we don't grow weary, the scripture says, we will reap a harvest. We will. Now, here's what you can do for me and what I can do for you. I really appreciate this in the Word of God. In Hebrews 10.24, the Bible says, Let us consider how we may stimulate one another to love and good deeds. The NIV says, let us consider how we may spur one another on. Some of you are horse people, and you know what spurs are for. If your horse is not performing the way you want your horse to perform, you can guide the horse or spur that horse on with your spurs, right? To do what? To love and good deeds. We can encourage each other to do those things which God has called us to do. We can encourage each other to apply the truth of God's Word. Because we're on the same team. We're on the Lord's team. He's the captain. He's the captain of the Lord of hosts, Jesus is. He's the head of the church. He is the king of the church. We are on His team. Yes, Lord. Yes. But we need each other, do we not? Do you have someone whom you can encourage? Don't say, I don't have anybody to encourage me. Just start encouraging people and guess what will happen? You won't think about yourself anymore. But you'll be helping others to go forward spiritually to bring honor and glory to Him. You can do it with your wife or your husband, your children. That's the first line of responsibility any person in a family has who knows Christ to your own loved ones. But we have many loved ones here who are not blood relatives, do we not? We're family in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us the necessary equipment for good works in your word. Please forgive us, Lord, for neglecting your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.